Presentation Skills for Design Students, Episode 13. Hello and welcome to Presentation Skills for Design Students, the podcast dedicated to helping design students everywhere become confident, creative communicators. My name's Christina Cantors, and I'm here to help you speak with confidence, create compelling presentations, and communicate your ideas like a rock star. So let's get to it. What's up, Design Ninjas? Thank you so much for joining me today. I've got a fantastic interview lined up for you. This week, I've been fortunate enough to speak with artist, designer, and researcher Danielle Wilde. Now, we talk about how to communicate your complex ideas and and all that crazy stuff that's running around in your head to others who are not familiar with your work or even your field of design. Danielle has lots of excellent stuff to share, so make sure you stick around for that. First, though, as always, let's hear this week's story from studio. And this week, it comes from Julian. One of my first projects, I had to design a wall and it was for an art gallery and it was an outdoor exhibition space. And I did this model that was just like black hard and a single piece of like grey card that was like curved and it was the most simple thing. It just looked so plain and it had like one stick on the side and my tutor has absolutely loved it and I just couldn't believe that because it was just so, the simplicity of it. I was like, oh, it took a while to build but I just thought it was so simple. That, then it just proved to me that it's not always what I think is good. Sometimes you do something and it'll be better than what you expected. So. Thank you, Julian, for sharing that story with us. It's always great to know that sometimes simple is better. And it's actually creating something that's really simple and it is just elegant and works that can often be one of the most difficult challenges that you face as a designer. So I think that's a a really good lesson there. So thanks, Julian. Okay, let's get into this week's interview with the wonderful Danielle Wilde. Now, if you don't know who Danielle is, she's an artist, designer, researcher and academic. She does a lot of weird, wonderful collaborations with people all around the world. She works with other designers. She works with choreographers, dancers. I'm not going to tell you too much about what she does because because she's going to explain all that in the interview. What I was really keen to talk to Danielle about is how do you communicate your seemingly complex ideas to people who haven't come across these ideas before because many of the things that Danielle studies and many of her projects, uh, they're quite specialised and I know when I, when I first met her, I hadn't seen anything like her projects before. You can check out her work at Danielle Wild. that's wild with an E, spelled W-I-L-D-E, daniellewild.com. So without further ado, let's get to the interview. Danielle Wilde, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's great to be here, Christina. 
Now, I'm, I'm so excited to have you on, on the show today because I've been really keen to, to pick your brain because I know it's a very complex brain and there's a lot going in there. But firstly, would you be able to give our listeners a brief overview of, of what it is that you do in your, your line of work? Oh, heavens. That's one of the challenges and I guess that's also why you asked me in here today. Um, I usually describe myself, at least at the moment, I describe myself as an artist and design researcher. And my focus is on creating opportunities that engage the body through the imagination and the imagination through the body and prompt people to move and feel in, in strange and unusual ways. I do this by linking interaction, design, fashion, textiles, research and material science. That's awesome. That's a, that's a great description. That, that made total sense to me. And I know, although I am at a slight advantage because I have met you before and I have spoken to you about the work that you do. And I guess just from my point of view, I, I met Danielle at the Melbourne Now exhibition where she was a uh, designer in, in residence and she had these fantastic knitted, uh, what do you call them, knitted um, items objects that we call, uh, we call them the green knit structures my, my naming conventions are very straightforward so that's actually uh, the project that you're talking about is a collaborative project so that is in particular is work with Jenny Underwood but the whole project is with Jenny Underwood and Rebecca Polner and a host of other people but they're the principal collaborators in making the things that you saw yes and what and what those things were was they actually you had to hold them in a certain way and you had to use your brain and your body to unfold these knitted objects and then use your brain to then in reverse uh, re refold them again. So it was a really interesting exercise to do and I think a lot of people were really intrigued by your your display there and, and, and your exhibition. So that was, that was really awesome. Mm, that's great to hear. <laughs> now, Danielle... With everyone I interview on the podcast, I like to play the two things game with them. Have you mm -hmm. heard of the concept of the two things? Uh, vaguely. Okay. Well, just, just as a, a refresh, it's based on the idea that any topic or subject can be summarised into just two things and everything else is just an application of those two things or it's just not important. And I've, I found one, one example for you. Uh, the two things about biology. So number yep. one, evolution is the process through which genetic structures that are better equipped to reproduce viable copies will tend to proliferate. And mm -hmm. number two, except for the platypus. <laughs> yeah, nice. So that's just one example of how you might summarise biology into just two things. Now I'd like to ask you, Danielle, what are your two things in your opinion, about designing for the human body? Wow, two things. I, I always say um, fit, it has to fit. I, I have three things and they all start with F. They're the three F things. So okay. it, it has to fit and it has to function and the form is important. So fit, function and form when it's on the body. And these can take wildly divergent um, ways of, of expressing themselves or realizing themselves. But, but because I'm, I'm very interested in um, the full range of 
of bodies and movement possibilities that people have. Uh, I work at the moment, I'm working with some disabled and hypermobile and mature-aged choreographers and performers and a contortionist. And the way they move is described as outside the norm. But I, the work, the project that, that you saw, Christina, the Poetic Kinesthetic Interface Project, is about trying to prompt people to imagine that there's no reason for them to be outside this notion of norm because actually no one is normal. Um, I'm diverging from your question, if I, which is kind of a bit naughty of me. But, uh, That's okay. It's still really interesting. If I come back to your question, the two things about designing for the body, as far as my practice is concerned, is that it has to engage the, the imagination through the body. And it has to engage the body through the imagination. And if you can do those two things, then you have everything. Wow. That's, and that's something that students who are studying architecture or industrial design or, um, and of course, fashion design can incorporate into their design processes as well, right? Absolutely. Because if you're designing a space, it's, it, you've got to think about, if you can think about how that space is affecting the, the human body or how, how someone interacts with it or moves through it. There's also a lot of really wonderful uh, writing about how the body connects to space, you know, in architectural context. And you can you can think of a building as a static thing, but that's not a very helpful thing to think of because it's never static in anyone's experience unless they're looking at a photo. And the only time you can see the photo in real life is if you happen to choose the same kind of day, the same kind of weather, the same kind of light, the exact same perspective and all these other things and the same mood that you had when you were looking at the photograph, which is kind of impossible. So everything is always related through movement and everything is dynamic. I had a look at your website and it just there's just so much going on in there. It just seems like you have so many different ideas and they can be quite complex. So I just wanted to know how do you go about explaining your uh, explaining these ideas and these concepts and your and your projects to people who have never seen them before? That's one of the best questions anyone could ask me and it's something that I struggle with continually and I have many, many different ways of approaching it and hopefully I'm getting closer and closer and better and better for the listening of the different people I speak to and I say that because how I describe something in many regards depends on who is listening, depends on who the audience is because it how they will understand the words I'm using will depend on their own experience of those words. So what I do, for example, the open studio, the residency at the NGV, it gave me the opportunity to speak to hundreds and hundreds of people about what we were doing. So that by the end of it, when we shot some video, I was much clearer about how to articulate very clearly what the project is about. And following that, we then wrote an academic paper um, talking about the notion of crafting open and responsive research structures because, um, you know, I, I operate as a researcher and an academic as well as an artist and designer and all, all of these different activities, uh, they're, they're all intertwined and they all feed each other and feed off each other. So when I write something to uh, for a conference, I'm writing to a specific kind of audience and then when I try to create a video I'm trying to speak 
in in a way to everyone. So it's about it's not about dumbing down the ideas. It's about making them accessible. And in either context, it's important not to use jargon. And I I have a PhD, and one of the problems that people who have PhDs have is that for you know two to three years afterwards, they speak really strangely. <laughs> So, so you know, it's very easy to use rather complex uh, ways of describing things uh, because you're trying to be exact and you're trained to be exact, and and I still do that. With regard to my website, I'm I'm actually in a way trying to resolve this very issue at the moment, and I'm speaking to some young designers who hopefully can bring some new ideas and new ways of thinking about how do I untangle all of this complex information that 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 is that is my work in many regards um and and put it online in a way that's accessible because the way my ideas go together is more like it's it's rhizomatic it's it's a network like a root system it's it's not linear in any way at all and it's also not hierarchical and that's quite particular about my work. I I don't have an undergraduate degree, so I wasn't really trained in a single discipline. I've followed my own pathway from theatre and performance and circus training and uh, experimental sonography um, through to working with technology and interaction design and looking at the what happens when you collide uh, physical computing with um, a performative space and... My mind, because I haven't been trained in a single discipline per se, I didn't do my master's at the Royal College of Art until I was in my 30s. So I, I'm used to being hungry for knowledge and curious about things and finding people to talk to. And this gets back to your question. In talking to people, I, it helps me to refine and articulate my ideas because it helps me to refine and articulate what exactly is it that I'm thinking? Because I don't know about other people, but I certainly rarely think of one thing in isolate. I, I don't think I ever think of one thing in isolation from everything else. Mm. So it's really about engagement. Yeah, and I'm sure a lot of design students can relate to that as well. They, I know a lot of creative people just have ideas all the time floating around in their heads and, and just, just tons and tons of ideas. So that that's awesome just speaking so then speaking to different to more people about it and just practicing getting your ideas out there how how do you how can you tell if someone understands what you've told them often you can tell by the questions that they are asking you if the questions that they are asking you is taking the conversation forward in a way that's coherent for you then you you it you have a a reasonable place from where to 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 imagine that they are understanding you that you have both come to some kind of understanding but if they're asking questions to get you to explain again then they're still searching to really know what it is that you're talking about because it's true that my ideas are complex they bring together many many fields of expertise but even for people who work in a very very clearly committed to a single uh discipline um even if their ideas can be considered not necessarily as complex, it doesn't make them less complex or, or less nuanced. But even, even if it's in a single discipline, it doesn't mean that other people understand uh, readily what you're speaking about. And 
I, I think key is to speak to as many people as as you can. Uh, when I was doing my PhD, someone said to me, your mother needs needs to be able to read it and understand on condition that your mother doesn't already have a PhD. <laughs> yep. And I'm not sure if my mother really understands what I do in all of its depth and breadth, but what she does understand is... Um, she connects with on very deep levels and I can see this because I see her telling other people about it. Another thing that I do is I'm always very curious to hear after I describe to someone to hear them describe to someone else and people are always a bit shy to do that in front of you but if you're very open about what you're doing it, it, it tends to make people feel a little bit more at ease about about engaging and questioning and and then perhaps trying to describe for themselves what you do. Mm. Now, you mentioned jargon before, and I'd just like to go a little bit deeper on on that topic because I know at university when students are presenting their work, I know sometimes they feel like they need to use jargon in order to sound intellectual or, they, <laughs> or they're worried that, that – or they, they feel like they need to use big words or – or ephemeral terms that, that are a bit fluffy that just to sound to sound smart, to sound intellectual, to sound like they know their stuff. What are your mm-hmm. thoughts on that? Well, my first thought is that it, it's, in some regards, it's a necessary step that many people go through and it's only by going through it or by seeing others go through it that you can really understand that it, it doesn't serve a purpose. The idea of speaking is to communicate, is to be understood. It's not to show how clever you are. And if you can communicate your ideas, if your ideas are are truly grappling with something that is interesting, you want to be able to communicate that to people. You don't want to say to them, look how interesting I am. You want to say to them, I have this idea and listen to my idea. Let me tell you about my idea. And the simpler language you use, the, the better it is, the less, the less likely it is that you will be misunderstood. So then the better chance you have of communicating clearly and have people responding to what is really moving you in your work. I think that also a lot of students feel like their tutors or whoever's marking them, if they speak with a lot of jargon, then maybe they feel like they have to use a jargon as well in order to impress and in order to get good marks. Do you think university tutors who are marking these students, do you think they, that comes across as impressive? As someone who from time to time is a university tutor, I'm, I'm not impressed by the words that people choose unless they are words that are so perfect for what they are trying to articulate. If they're using a a word that I could actually cut out of the sentence and it wouldn't change anything, which often happens, then it's like, well, you know, there's, there's, this sounds wonderful, but actually there's nothing in there. I'm interested in content. Mm. If you, you can package your content however you want, but if I can't access the content, then your packaging is, is getting in the way. And I understand that you know, not all tutors come to this from the same perspective. You know, some people like, uh, do enjoy seeing students kind of stretch their, their vocabulary and stretch their muscles. And, and, and I agree it's an important part of the process of, of learning and growing and owning 
your knowledge. But I think the ownership of the knowledge is is really only there when you no longer need to use the jargon. Mm. And yeah, I think just not being afraid to use everyday language to explain it. And that makes so much sense. If you're going to be using language that people don't understand, then your message is lost. And the whole point of a presentation is to communicate your message. So that's a great point there. Now, what's your advice, Danielle, for someone who is like yourself with lots and lots of ideas, really curious about the world, has, you know, thoughts running in and out of their mind and just w- and, and wanting to, to share all this with people. How, what advice would you have for someone who, on how to organise those thoughts and, and to choose what's important to communicate? Well, the, the first advice I'd give just on a slightly more, more basic level of advice to people who, who think in this, in this very kind of complex way that it's not easy to get down into a linear uh, arrangement of thoughts is keep working just keep working and you will find the people who are your fellow travelers when you need to speak about your ideas put it in point form if you have a five minute presentation make five points and see if that makes sense and when it does go okay i'll make three points for each one of those does it still make sense? Yes, it still makes sense. And by doing that, you'll eventually get to your five-minute presentation as you, you know, work down and down and down um, with, with the knowledge that what you are doing will make sense. And sometimes when I, when I say, you know, these five points and then these three points, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, those points could be an image, or they could be a sound or they could be a snippet of video or it can be very broad ranging what those points are. But if you can get those points into an articulate space, then your presentation will be fine. And sometimes it will be articulated through images, but complement it with text. If you're using text, don't put text on a screen if you're going to say it. Don't say it if it's on the screen. Think about ways that you can layer the messages, the information that you're trying to communicate because some people listen and understand more strongly in images and others in sounds and others in words and others through their body and others in many other ways. Uh, So try to take that on board, understand that it's okay that you are like that too. I like that. That's good. That's really interesting about how people uh, take in messages through different ways, so through the verbal, through, through images and everything. That's awesome. Oh, well, uh, I think that uh, just about brings us to the end of the interview, Danielle. Thanks so much for joining me. If, if people yeah. can, um, if people want to find out more about you and see some of your projects, I did, actually, I might just mention, I saw this one project of yours that was a human fruit juicer. And yeah. so for everyone listening, it was this, okay, I'm going to try and explain one of your projects in, in, in my, the way that I saw it. It's Super. this um, plastic bubble wrap contraption that you put on your chest and you put fruit in there and then when you hug someone it squeezes it bursts the bubbles and and all the and the squeeze of the fruit and all the juice runs out into a cup and you can drink that juice yeah is is that about right (laughs) absolutely it's called juice me fabulous so so um so where can people go to check out projects like that well, they can go to my website, which is daniellewilds.com, uh, dot com, and 
Hopefully, there'll be a redesign up there soon, but for the moment, what you can see is the most recent projects are towards the top, and they're all grouped. I haven't uh, put a site up yet for the project that Christina was talking about at the NGV, but that's coming soon. Okay. Well, I look forward to seeing that and seeing the re the redesign of the website. Mm. <laughs> Thanks so Me- much, Danielle. <laughs> Thank you. So what did you think of that chat with the wonderful Danielle Wilde? She's got so many nuggets of advice that we can all learn from. You can tell that she's had a lot of practice at explaining her ideas clearly to people because she's so well articulated when she speaks. Something I've got to aim for. Anyway, I will put a link to her website in the show notes at designdrawspeak.com slash 013. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate it if you could head on over to the iTunes store and leave a rating and a review for this podcast. You can just follow the links at designdrawspeak.com. It just helps the podcast get recognized and discovered by more people. Anyway, that's it from me for this episode. I hope you have a super duper week and I will see you next time. This has been Presentation Skills for Design Students, helping you become a confident, creative communicator.